saved but by fire. This message by Pastor Rod Harris from Genesis chapter 19 was delivered at Trinity Baptist Church on Wednesday evening, June the 9th, 2021. Have a word of prayer together and then we'll get started on our Bible study tonight. Father, thank you for your mercies and kindness. I pray your blessing as we gather around your word tonight that we might be encouraged and strengthened, that we might live the life that you've called us to live, that our life would be to your glory and honor. Father, as you speak, may we hear, may we heed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ask most people the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they're going to say something like this. Well, in the Old Testament, God operated through the law. But in the New Testament, God operates according to grace. Which means that in the Old Testament, God is seen as a vengeful God with great power. Where in the New Testament, He's revealed as a God of love and mercy demonstrated in the Lord Jesus. The problem with that is it's a false dichotomy. It's a false premise. Uh, God didn't change between the Old and New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Law and Gospel are woven together throughout the whole of Scripture. Wherever you find a command, that's law. And wherever you find a promise, that's grace. And so law and grace are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It, it goes together. Yes, God thundered the law from Mount Sinai. But at the same time, He gave the plan for the tabernacle. And what was the point of the tabernacle? That I may dwell in the midst of my people. The law was going to reveal the sinfulness of sin. The law was going to reveal that they were sinners. You hold the law up to your face like a mirror and you say, man, I'm a sinner, this is horrible. And the soul that sins will die. What do I do now? Here's the plan of the tabernacle that I may dwell in the midst of a sinful people. So grace and law are running together throughout the whole. We're going to see a great example of that tonight in our text in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 is the story of the destruction of Sodom, which means it's a very familiar text. Uh, it's one that's been at the heart of a controversy for a number of years. Uh, it's a classic picture of judgment. In fact, if you were to survey a crowd and just ask them uh, for biblical passages that deal with judgment, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is probably going to top that list. That's the one that most people think of. That, that's something, whether they've been in church or not, whether they've got a, a church background or not, they, they know that Sodom and Gomorrah was a story of great judgment. And it is. It's a picture of judgment, but it's more than that. It's a picture of great judgment, but it's also a picture of grace and mercy. And so I hope that you'll see that tonight as we work our way through it. Yes, God poured out His judgment on Sodom. It was a wicked city deserving of God's judgment. But at the same time, God in grace pulled out a struggling, weak, stumbling saint. So God was gracious in the midst of His judgment. Genesis chapter 19 uh, we'll start just by reading the first 17 verses. Remember in chapter 18, God was talking with His friend Abraham. 
The Lord let Abraham know that he was about to go down and destroy Sodom. He, he gave him insight into what was going to happen. Should I, should I keep it from him? And the Lord says, no, I, I shouldn't keep it from him. So he reveals what he's about to do. And it burdens his heart. And so Abraham pleads with God. Will, will not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? Are, are you going to destroy the city of Sodom and, and the, the righteous along with the wicked? And they have that debate that goes back and forth. And, and uh, Abraham, pretty skilled debater, uh, he brings the Lord down and says, so 10, if we find 10 righteous in the city, will you spare the city? And of course, God agrees to that because the Lord knows there's not 10 righteous in Sodom. Uh, in fact, we know that there is none righteous, not a single one. Uh, that's made clear in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. There is none righteous, not a single one. There's, there's none who seeks after God. And you know, you may say, well, I know some people that they're, they're not believers, but they're pretty decent people. But the, the problem is they are not righteous people. The problem is God defines righteousness and they don't fit the category. Uh, and that's not just in Romans. Romans is quoting from the Old Testament. Uh, we also find it in Psalm uh, 14 and again in Psalm 53. So the Lord comes in judgment on this wicked city. Let's read beginning in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. He said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. He said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. They said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and he drew near to break down the door. Then the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness, the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were about to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But they seemed, it seemed to his sons-in-laws that he was jesting. As morning dawned, the angels argued or urged Lot, saying, Up, 
Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away and punished with the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters and by the hand of the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, he said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. So the Lord is gracious, even in judgment. Even in judgment against this vile, wicked, corrupt city, the Lord was merciful. The Lord was gracious. And He delivers this, this stumbling, weak saint. As we work our way through, here's what I want us to understand. God graciously delivers His people in spite of their own wicked choices. In spite of the fact that we make mistakes, in spite of the fact that we do things that we know to be wrong, in spite of the fact that we fail to live up to the standard that God has set before us, we fail to live out faithfully and accurately and consistently our faith, God is gracious and merciful in dealing with us. As the story unfolds, there's three things I want to point out. First of all, we must take note of a foolish believer. We've already talked about the pattern in Lot's life. We've already seen the fact that it began when he looked down toward Sodom. Then the next thing we know, he pitched his tent near Sodom. So he looked that way, then pretty soon he's moving in that direction. He's close to the city. Then the next time we read about him, he's living in the city of Sodom. And then after that, he's in the gate of the city, which means he's assumed a leadership position. That was the place of commerce. That was the place of business. And so now he's become a leading citizen in this vile, wicked, corrupt city. And I don't think it was a matter that uh, when Lot and Abram separated, that Lot said, I think I want to go and rule in a wicked city. I think I want to go and be a part of Sodom. I, I don't believe that at all. But this gradual drifting as he moved that direction, and before long he's closer to the city, before long he's actually in the city, and before he knows that he's caught up in it. That's the way sin works. I'm intrigued, so I look. I'm interested, so I get close to. Then I dabble with it, and before I know it, I'm caught up in the midst of it. That, that's what happened to Lot. It's a classic illustration of a worldly, half-hearted Christian. He knew the Lord. Peter refers to him as righteous Lot. He wanted fellowship with God. He wanted to be in fellowship with the Lord, but he also wanted the world too, and that's the problem. I can't be God's friend and the world's friend at the same time and in the same way, in the same kind of relationship. He wanted the Lord and he wanted to be in fellowship and walk with the Lord, but he also wanted the things of the world. He was caught up in that. and He gave himself to it and before long it took over. As a result, he lost almost everything he valued. We do well to learn that lesson. It's a dangerous thing to flirt with sin. It's a dangerous thing when, when our attitude towards sin is, how close can I get to actually doing it without actually doing it? Uh, I remember when I was in seminary, we lived in Crowley, Texas, and in Crowley, Texas, out on, the, out on 35, there was a, there was a large Seventh-day Adventist hospital. And uh, one of our friends 
uh, was a nurse. Her husband and I had gone to OBU together. We went down to seminary. We were living in the same trailer park. She was a nurse. And so she got a job at that Adventist hospital. And one day she was telling us about the cafeteria. And as good Adventists, you know, they didn't eat pork and they had certain dietary restrictions and so forth. And they followed that at the hospital. And she said, they had a new item in the cafeteria. It looked like ham. It felt like ham. It smelled like ham. It tasted like ham, but it wasn't ham. There's a problem if we want to dabble in that which looks like, feels like, smells like, but technically is not. Sin is a dangerous thing. and Flirting with it is a dangerous thing. Lot looked down that way, then he moved that direction, then he moved into, and then he's caught up in the life of it. I, I can't think of Lot's story without thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be, become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the work of each one. If the work that has been built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself be saved, but through fire. Righteous Lot was not a Psalm 1 kind of man. Uh, he was not the kind of man who gave himself exclusively to the Lord. He's seated in the city gate. He's a, a leader in this sinful, wicked, corrupt city. And so much so that by the time we get to verse 7, and these strangers have come into his house, and the men of the city, young and old, great and small, uh, important and unimportant, come to his house and desire to have sexual relationships with the men who are living in his house. When they're calling for that, he goes out to calm down the crowd. And did you notice what he said? Brothers, don't do this. Brothers. Other translations have him saying friend. But what does light have to do with darkness? How, how can this godly man, how can this person who is related to the Lord, how can this person whose heart is, is given to the Lord, uh, look at these vile, wicked men who want to commit this wicked, horrible act and say, brothers, men, friends, don't do this thing. Not to mention what he goes on to offer. I can't let these men come out, but i got these two daughters and they've never had relations with anyone. How about I throw them out and you all do whatever you want with them? Just don't harm these men because they've come under my roof. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Let's, let's, let's slow down. Maybe Lot went there as a missionary. Maybe Lot was saying, hey, that's, that's a wicked place and they need a, they need a gospel witness, so I'm willing to go in and, and try to be salt and light in that corrupt and dark place. Well, going into that world in order to preach the gospel is one thing. Making yourself at home in that place is something else altogether. 
I, I, I'm looking at his actions, and they're not the actions of a missionary. They're, at, they're the actions of someone who has capitulated to the lifestyle. But what about becoming all things to all men, so that by all means I may reach some? You know, that's, that's a godly thing. That's, that's a righteous thing to, to strive for, isn't it? Well, becoming all things to all men does not mean uh, I became a gambler in order to reach gamblers. I became a drug addict so that I could reach drug addicts. What, what that verse is all about is I, I, I give up my rights in order to identify with these folks. I don't insist on the privileges of my background. I, I lay that aside in order to help people and reach them from a different background. So the problem is that Lot wasn't winning Sodom. Sodom was winning Lot. Sodom wasn't changing. Lot was changing. He was being caught up in this system. Lot did not go down to Sodom in order to convert Sodom. He went down to benefit from its ungodly way. It's an issue that each of us has had to come to grips with. Not everyone's called to be in Christian vocation, but we are called to make our mark on the world. We are called to make a difference in the culture in which we live. We are all called to live out the truth of our faith faithfully and consistently and make a difference wherever the Lord has planted us. Uh, we need to look at our motivation. We need to ask ourselves, why did I make the choices I made? Why am I in the job I'm in? Why do I live in the neighborhood I live in? And all of those kinds of things. And ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Is it honestly, truly for the glory of God? Is that my motivation? Or did that not even enter the issue? Did not even enter my mind when I was thinking about it. If we're going to glorify God in everything we do, then the thought of how I'm going to glorify God through this needs to enter my mind. It needs to enter my thinking. It needs to be considered. Second, we need to take note of a wicked city. The word Sodom is associated today with wickedness, sin, and perversion. Sodom was no place for a righteous man. The wickedness of Sodom is made abundantly clear in the text. He sees these two visitors and he goes and meets them and he bows down to them and he says, hey, why don't you all come to my house, spend the night, uh, you can get up early in the morning and head on your way and, and you'll be safe and this is, this is a great thing. Come to my house and let me host you. And he said, no, we're just, we're just going to stay in the, in the town square, which was a common thing in that day. And he pressed them, no, don't do that. Why? Because he knew it wasn't safe. He, he was expecting what happened. I don't know that he was expecting to come to his house and threaten him and, and, and seek to break the door down, but he knew that if they stayed in the city square, that's what was going to happen. And so he ple pleaded with them, don't stay here. This, this is a wicked city and he knows that. What was the chief sin of Sodom? Well, we all know the answer to that. Homosexuality. Is it true that sin is sin? Because that's the argument we hear. Well, sin is sin. Is that true? Yes and no. Yes, in that the consequences of sin is the same. The soul that sins will die. Sin is a violation of the law of God and God's judgment will come against sin. But there are certain sins that are referred to as detestable 
or an abomination. They're not all equal. Here's a question right there. Is it possible, if a, not, I'm not saying this, but if a, if a man, if a woman is married, and her, husband, her and her husband are together, and then she's still legally married to her husband, but her man's not, her husband not around, and another man be with that woman, is it a sin that man is a married woman? Yes. Yeah. So, sin is sin in the consequences of it. There's the judgment of God on it, but they're not equal. If you were to be uh, downtown, you decide, uh, can't do it during COVID, but when all that's over, I want to set in on uh, some cases and just watch what happens in the courtroom. If uh, the judge is on his bench and someone's brought in, uh, he's guilty of jaywalking. And uh, the judge listens to it. Okay, what were you doing? Where were you? Okay. Okay, guilty, uh, pay a $5 fine. Next case. Guy's brought in. What'd you do? Oh, he molested 13 children. All right, here's the case. Guilty, pay a $5 fine. We would say, no. <laughs> crime is crime, but there's a difference between crimes. And there needs to be a judgment in proportion to the crime. There are certain crimes that are abominations. There are certain, there are certain sins that are a, a, a detestable thing in the eyes of the Lord. And so uh, that's what we need to make clear as we're walking through this together. Um, this particular sin, the sin of homosexuality, is uh, worthy of the death penalty according to Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, according to chapter 1 of Romans, it's the evidence of a culture's well-advanced corruption. Scripture is clear on that. I mean, Leviticus 18 talks about you shall not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. This is an abomination. So that, that language is used. Uh, it goes on to say if a man lies with another man as one lies with a woman, this is an abomination. Both are guilty of that and both should die. That's clear in Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. Uh, again, back in Romans chapter 1, 26 and 27, uh, it's referred to as dishonorable passions. It's called exchanging natural affections for that which is shameful and unnatural. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 through 10, uh, those who practice homosexuality are listed among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you and I know those verses, and we say, absolutely. But I want to caution you, because if you read the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there are some other things listed there too about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Things like uh, sexual immorality, so any form of sexual immorality. Adultery, idolatry, putting something else in the place of God. Greedy individuals, thieves, drunkards, revilers. Swindlers. They're all in that same category of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, again, homosexuality listed as, an, as a sin that brings great judgment, but also in the same passage are those who are disobedient, liars, perjurers, or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Yeah, the chief sin was homosexuality, but this was a cesspool of sin and wickedness and depravity and corruption. 
It's not the lone sin, and it's not the one thing that brought the judgment of God. It's popular today to say, well, God loves everyone, including homosexuals. Now, I'm not disagree with that. I'd agree with that completely. God made human beings in His own image. Again, I'm on board with that. He made homosexuals, therefore homosexuality is a gift from God and should be accepted and embraced and loved. No. You've, you've changed what you're talking about. Yes, every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. Sexual preferences and actions are different from God's creation. It's a perversion. It's a twisting of a good gift that God has given. And we, we, we pervert that gift in many ways, but that's one expression of it. A clear reading of Genesis 19 refutes the logic of all of that. Sodom was not destroyed merely because of, only because of the sin of homosexuality. Sodom was destroyed because it was a plague center of every kind of depravity, pride, sensuality, and injustice. It was foolish for Lot to even be in that place. God's judgment was about to fall on an extremely wicked city. Finally, we need to note a gracious act of salvation. God comes with a warning. Verse 10, uh, down through verse 13, He graciously warned Lot about what's about to happen. He says, get your family together and, and we need to get out of here. If you've got sons-in-laws, get them. Get your he goes to the future son-in-laws, those who are going to marry his daughters, and he pleads with them, get out of here. God's coming in judgment. And they thought he was joking. It didn't move them at all. And the angels then, after warning... When Lot hesitates and his wife hesitates and his family hesitates, the angels take them in hand and drag them out of the city. It's the grace and the mercy of God. God's bringing judgment and God is merciful to Lot and to his family. The doctrine of perseverance is not limited to the New Testament. God's grace preserved Lot in spite of Lot. It's all of grace. It's holy of grace. And then chapter 19, verse 24 through 29 tells of this horrifying judgment of God. Fire and brimstone raining from the sky. Divine judgment falling. Try to picture that. Try to imagine that. I'll give you an example that can help you. August the 6th, 1945. It's a day like any other day. And men got on their bicycles and rode their bikes to work. And mothers were home folding laundry and sweeping floors. And children were on their way to the school. And young mothers were changing diapers and nursing their children. It was a day like any other day when the skies darkened as the Enola Gray came across. And in an instant, white, hot, burning, incinerated, men on their bicycles on the way to work, children and their teachers in school, young mothers and their babies went into eternity together in a moment. It's that kind of destruction that God brought on Sodom and Gomorrah. His divine judgment is a terrifying thing. Lot's wife turns and looks back after being told, don't do that, but she does. Because she doesn't want to leave. Because she's still attracted to and still desires life there. And she looks back and she's turned into 
a pillar of salt, she's petrified like the residents of the city. In chapter 19, verse 27 through 29, Abraham is out looking towards Sodom and he sees the smoke rising. And verse 29 links Lot's deliverance to God's love and God's covenant with Abraham. Then you have that horrifying story of Lot and his daughters to close out the chapter. Lot pleased with the angels, don't make me go far, there's a city near here. At least let me go, okay, you can go there and we'll spare that city. But he doesn't want to stay there, so he moves out to a desolate place. So he and his daughters alone, there are no, there are no men, there are no, future, there are no prospects for families and so his daughters hatch a plan to get their father drunk and to lie with him and they become pregnant by their own father and through the incestuous relationships the Ammonites Ammonites and the Moabites come into existence and they're going to be a thorn in Israel's side for the rest of their days. The ongoing judgment of God as a result of sin and wickedness and devastating choices. We don't hear from Lot after this. He disappears. And we don't hear from him again. I don't know what happened to him. Apparently, I'm going to assume he did repent because he's in this record as righteous Lot. Uh, Peter refers to him in that way. But I do know that Lot was graciously delivered by the grace of God when God came in horrifying, terrifying judgment on a wicked city. And had they not been taken out, they would have died alongside all the other unrighteous souls. But for the grace of God. It's not a New Testament teaching. It's a Bible teaching. It runs throughout the whole God wasn't this angry, vengeful God in the Old Testament who became loving later on. He has always been a God of love and grace and compassion. And He remains a holy, sovereign, wrath-filled God to this day. It's not either or, it's both and. When we consider the character and the nature of our God. But what I want you to see is His grace, His mercy, and His kindness toward undeserving, stumbling, unfaithful servants. Therein is our hope. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your mercies and Your kindness to us. Lord, I pray that we would learn from this example. I pray that we would look to You in faith and hope, trusting and believing, receiving Your grace, resting in Your kindness. And Lord, I pray that we'd be quick to share that message with others, to give hope to those who are without hope, to give encouragement to those who are discouraged and despairing. Lord, drive this truth home to us every day that we might live for Your glory and Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the TBC Tulsa Podcast which features the preaching ministry of Pastor Rod Harris at Trinity Baptist Church, 
located at the corner of 41st and Union in Tulsa, Oklahoma. To learn more about Trinity Baptist Church, visit us on the web at www.tbctulsa.org.